John. 14. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 206 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. That is Jeffrey. <laughs> I'm Joel. <laughs> oh, I thought I was going after Joel. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am Jeffrey. And I'm Josh. And the uh, lasso of truth compels me to say that this September, we're probably going to be subbing Pat every single week because hurricanes hate Texas. Yes, that is. He is. He is still dealing with computer issues. The mother nature is still trying to kill him, but uh, not doing a very good job of it. So that's good. Yeah. He's alive. Yeah, I was going to say, Pat watched 2017, still not dead, just not here. Right. But who is here is Jeffrey of the History of Bad Ideas podcast. Yes, thank you guys for having me. Uh, History of Bad Ideas is a podcast that I run with my uh, buddies uh, Blake Edwards and Jason Brigger. And uh, it's pretty much uh, just, uh, you know, three aging uh, geeks talking about everything that's going on in the world of geek culture whether it be movies, TVs, comic books, and all the other stuff that uh, we get into uh, week by week. Yeah. Wow. Be Blake Edwards. You have to tell me. Uh, I love the Pink Panther. I yeah, think it's Blake Edwards, but uh, he's a Blake Edwards anyway. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Blake on last year for September, if I recall. Mm-hmm. I think it was Blake. Yeah, I think he – yeah, Blake was on. He was on your uh, – Oh, what was it? The Adventures in Babysitting uh, episode. Oh, wow, yeah, that was a year ago already. Wow. Holy crap. It's a long time. Oh, man. All right. Now I'm feeling older. <laughs> well, if uh, you're feeling older and would like to feel younger by listening to podcasts, that's <laughs> so all you gave me to work with, man. <laughs> you could check out the shows on the Podcast Collective, including the Bad Parenting Podcast. Joel's own The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, The Dog and Deuce Show, and of course, The Rad Dad Radio Hour. Uh, speaking of being older, Mike and I are both older. Compared well, to what? Technically, we're all older. No, compared to last <laughs> week when we broke. Well, yes, but we're all older than we were last week, Joel. Rain on my parade. No, you guys had birthdays was your point, but... It would be a weird week if uh, only you two were older and I'm somehow younger. Yeah, Josh and Josh reverted. That's fantastic. Well, yeah. if it makes you feel guys feel younger, I also had a birthday last week, and I think I'm topping all of you. Oh, let's see. Where, where are you at on the race to death? Uh, I'm in the closer to 50 than to 40. Oh, you maybe you beat me out. Um, I'm split in the middle, 45. Uh, 46. Nice. 43. I'm the youngin at 41. Wow. Still old. <laughs> old enough for this show. So, uh, do we, and also other shows. We have other shows. We have yes, two. I already did that bit. <laughs> you did the iTunes Super <laughs> Talk to Podcasting? No, those are not other shows. Those are places you can find this show. <laughs> no, other shows other than this one. Not oh, yes. I'm not drunk enough for this already. This is so. I use Blueberry Stitcher, Talk to Podverse FM, Noon FM, and other podcasting directories. You can find us pretty much anywhere. We're also on Google Podcasts. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, that's uh, 708 Now Wrap, 708 669 9727. And uh, yeah, do we have any listener feedback this week, Josh? We do not. It has been uh, 
quiet on the Western Front, aside from people uh, speculating about Patrick's eventual fate, which at this point, if it's happening, it's probably not hurricane related. <laughs> well, so those of you that chose those boxes on the uh, on the chart, you are now out of the game, at least until next year. Yeah. <laughs> Safe What's money is still year? on bad decisions. <laughs> All right. So about that time. Oh, it is definitely about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right. So this week, it is November 7th, 1975. That's the premiere of Wonder Woman with Linda Carter. Uh, Show up that week. I was negative one. Aw. Little bitty bitty Josh. That's that was not but a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Joel, music. Uh, yes. And before I get to music, I totally misread that as 78. So when we get to sports, we might be off by a couple of years. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <sighs> All right. Music. This week, the top songs in the land are Island Girl by Elton John, Lion Eyes by the Eagles, and I'm Sorry by John Denver. Also, And I'm sorry that you're wrong about yep. the Eagles. This, is, uh, this has been an ongoing thing, Jeffrey, that Joel apparently feels that the Eagles are not as awesome as they are. Oh. So. I'm, I'm kind of on a somewhere in the middle. I don't hate them like other people I know, but I don't love them like apparently you do i am not sure that we made the right decision for having that. <laughs> that's all right we'll give you a bye so the next time i uh make a mistake then uh, then i'm cut yeah pretty much but uh, <laughs> I, I, I listen to these songs of course i know lion eyes and i'm sorry by john denver was just as sappy as you expected now island girl is a upbeat song by Elton John about a Jamaican hooker in Great Britain. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. Check that one out. Not what I was expecting on that one. And the song. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious. Which island are they referring to then? Great Britain or Jamaica? Oh, see how he did that? He, he made a connection there. I like, I like the way you think. Now you're back in his good graces. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next up, the Sex Pistols were a British punk band that defined the genre, even though they only produced one studio album, which is also the acronym of the week, NMTB HDSP. Of course, that's no more tiny boobs. Huge tits surprise people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know why I ever doubt you on these. These are all... Like... <gasps> Oh, they surprised me. Uh, Fronted by John Lydon, better known as Johnny Rotten, they performed their first concert on November 6th at St. Martin's School of Art in London. I love that we're just letting that sit as the official title of the Sex Pistols album. (laughs) I think it's better than the the real title. I think that would probably, it it could have been an alternate alternate universe that may have been it. So so what was that just for those playing at home? Never mind the bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Okay. Dog bollocks. 
All right. And finally, in music, keeping in the punk genre, Mike Herrera, lead singer and songwriter of the Bremerton, Washington punk band MXPX and bassist for the band Goldfinger, was born on the same day, but not quite in the same esteem. <laughs> I mean, MXPX isn't a bad band, and neither is Goldfinger, but they're not the sex business. No, no. I just, I, I just thought it was cool that there's punk, another band singer songwriter that was born the same day they performed the first show so it was a nice little connection yeah so all right so we're on to movies first up just to see if joel knows who he is also on the sixth scottish grindhouse movie director sean patrick macklem was born all right so i didn't know who this person was i threw it into google google doesn't know who this is either so who is sean patrick macklem the scottish grindhouse movie director We've been the only thing I could find was the reference that that was he was born on this day, and that's his uh, title. That's his but claim to fame. He's not on IMDb. He's not on Google anywhere except for that. And I couldn't find a single film to his credit. So uh, apparently, he's making them in his apartment with an iPhone. You never know. It was on. It was on IMDb. Uh, he's on Facebook. Um, so <laughs> that narrows it down. <laughs> Yeah, but on Facebook, it's just like if you go to his Twitter page or whatever, or it says he's just a horror fan. Yeah. I don't know. So, John Macklem, you are a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> and for Patrick, even though he's currently in the eye of a hurricane, Annette Marie Sarah Kellerman was an Australian professional swimmer and vaudeville star born in 1887. Uh oh. See where this is going. <laughs> As a child, she had to wear metal braces on her legs since they were so weak, and her parents signed her up for swimming lessons to help strengthen them. She took to the sport, and in 1902, she won the 100-yard and one-mile championships in South Wales with times of 122 and 33.49. She also popularized swimming by her performance of the first water ballet in a glass tank at the New York Hippodrome. Kellerman also advocated the right for women to wear one-piece bathing suits instead of the dress and pantaloon styles that were expected for women at the time. How is this information relevant to movies? Kellerman was in the Fox Film Corporation's production of A Daughter of the Gods in 1916, where she performed her own stunts, such as diving 60 feet into a pool of crocodiles. And she was also the first major film actress to perform a fully nude scene. She passed away on November 6th. 95% absorbed. <laughs> she, she had metal legs, so. I'm just uh, very happy that she brought us the first Foley nude scene. Yeah, and in 1916, too. So that had to have been... Huh, so that was before talkies? Yep. I'm looking uh, at that now. I suppose it was the 20s or 30s where they started getting bringing Puritanism into movies. So before then, it was uh, free free reign. She's yeah. pretty naked here. Yeah, she she really does. She gets full starkers in that. And some of the other things that she did, I mean, she did a the 60 feet into a pool of crocodiles. She also did like a, a even a higher jump from a cliff into the ocean. Uh and was there in more movies than this and it's she's I mean, she's really for someone who was born with braces, having to have braces a la Forrest Gump on her legs, you know, she was pretty dang healthy, you know, with the swimming and all that. I mean, she's really just got an amazing story behind her life so and she was nude so yay all right so tv 
In early November of 1975, a new product appeared on the shelves. Made by Sony, the LV-1901 Betamax console was a mere $2,495 and was a television Betamax hybrid. So it was like you had a TV on the left and the Betamax on the right. Considering that a Ford Mustang II cost $4,105 at the time, having a Betamax in your home was quite a thing. And currently, these consoles have been seen to auction for fifteen dollars to $2,000. $2,000. That's crazy. Their auction value is less than their original retail. Uh-huh. But I can't imagine buying a TV. I mean, now you $2,500 for a TV is still a lot. Oh, you know, yeah. It's still- I mean, in in 1975, how I wonder how much 1975. Yeah, I wonder what size what size screen those TVs had. Those are probably <laughs> only like 19 inches. Oh, it was yeah, it was real tiny. I mean, because you know the the it was big wooden console as they were in the day, uh, and um, the Betamax console took up half of it. So let's see. I'm gonna try. I'm doing to see 1975 to 2016. $2,500, that would be by buying a, holy shit, <laughs> change for inflation, that would be spending $11,152 in 2016. Wow, on basically a TV with a video player. Yeah. Son, you're not going to college, but we can watch Betamax. You're the best dad. Oh, back then, college only cost a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> Some people are still paying that off. Back in my day. All right. So next up, November 10th, the Guiding Light changes its name to Guiding Light in an attempt to modernize the show's image. Um, I, I wish I could have been in that in that drop. It's making yeah. us feel so old that we have a the. Yeah, kids these days, they don't use the word the. <laughs> See, I see some guy in a suit smoking a cigar. I like the way you think. Nope. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, nobody told the announcer because he continued to call the series The Guiding Light in his announcements until the early 80s. With forward thinking like this, Marcus, you're going to have yourself a Betamax console soon. <laughs> and of course, November 7th, the new original Wonder Woman TV movie airs as the pilot for the series. Wonder Woman, which then the show itself premiered in 1976. Go Wonder Woman. Yeah. I think we'll have a couple things to say about that later on. Mm-hmm. All right. Sports. Time for sports. Well, I hope some of these actually happened in 75, but as no. Uh, no, no. they're all 78. They're all 78. Okay. So we're jumping three years into the future. Uh, Gene Tunney, American boxer and heavyweight boxing champion between the years of 1926 to 28, gets the final TKO from God. He dies at the age of 80 due to a circulation ailment. Absorbed. <laughs> oh, clever, clever writing there, the final TKO. Circulation ailment? Yeah, God's undefeated, I believe we decided, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, also happening... Uh, Boston Red Sox left fielder and designated hitter Jim Rice finally wins the American League MVP award. He has previously finished in the top five MVP MVP voting five other times. 1975, 1977, 1979, 1983, and 1986. 
So what year is this again? I mentioned 1975. (laughs) So he won it the first time, or he was nominated the first time in 75. But he finally won in 78. Yes. So, Joel, is this like when I tell the kids to do the dishes and they break a dish just so they don't have to do them again? (laughs) (laughs) No, this just shows that we need Patrick, that's all. Aw. All right, and here's my test. Uh, Finally, India recorded its first ever test win in November of 1978. Oops. Against the West Indies under Shantha Ragaswamy's captaincy at the Moin Ul Haq Stadium in Patna. Sounds good to me. That's pretty good. I'm impressed. All right. All this for all our cricket fans out there. Hey, we have a a veritable half dozen cricket fans from New Zealand that will call us up if we don't get that stuff right. There may be dozens of them. Dozens. (laughs) Or or there's Nikki. (laughs) Yeah, it's Nikki. I just like, she calls with different voices every now and then. We like to pretend. Well, I want to throw out a shout out to Nikki because it's Nikki is the reason I started following you guys. Oh, really? Yeah. uh, She sent out a tweet both of our uh, podcasts in it one day and i said "Ooh, that sounds interesting let me see what they're about oh very cool and here you are now well we'll <laughs> definitely have to thank nikki and the fact that joel has 17 shows <laughs> the reason people know because it took us three years to decide to actually have guests on the show <laughs> we only do that once a month or once a year so yeah. we're glad glad you found us this has been a Excellent. Long and mutually beneficial relationship. Right? Serious. Lead us out, keyboard Joel. All right. We are talking about Wonder Woman this year, or this year, this show. Um, Wonder Woman, known from seasons two to three as the new adventures of Wonder Woman, was a TV series based on the DC comic book superhero of the same name, starring Linda Carter as Wonder Woman and Diana Prince. And Lyle Wagoner as Steve Trevor. What? I probably do remember that guy. You probably know him, yes. But um, it originally aired for three seasons from 75 to 79, or if Joel did it, from 79 to 83. <laughs> yeah, shit. The first season is on ABC and was set in the 40s during World War II. The second and third seasons aired on CBS and set in the 70s when the title changed to the new Adventures of Wonder Woman and a complete change of cast other than Carter and Wagoner. And uh, Wagoner's character was changed to Steve Trevor Jr., the son of a character. So, yeah. Yeah, that was something I didn't know that they did that jump before, you know, doing this. I remembered that it took place in the seventies when I was a kid and watched it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking, I'm like, did I get the forties and seventies confused? Cause I was, you know, just a snot as kid, but uh, now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that this is one of the big shows of the first superhero like, mass media Renaissance where you've got like the Hulk and all the original, like the super friends would be a couple years later. And oh. it took so long for an actual big budget movie. Don't get me wrong. I have much love for Groot and Rocket, but the fact that a talking raccoon and a talking tree got a movie before Wonder Woman <laughs> is a little crazy. Oh, it is. Uh, this And this, for me, was like part of the uh, 
the holy trinity of TV shows because you had the live action Spider Man, you had live action Incredible Hulk, and then you had Wonder Woman, and you know, as far as I knew, everything was coming up roses back then. You know, it's <laughs> all the superhero you can handle on TV, but um, but yeah, I mean that's and it's kind of goofy because of the conversations that I've seen people have on the, like what the studios have said, Oh, well, you know, the world isn't ready to have a wonder woman movie. I think for long now, I mean, I think it's been proved wrong. Um, I'm kind of glad that it waited, but we're talking, but we're talking about the, the movie now. So let's, let's get on with it. So this was created by William Moulton Martston. Yeah. He uh, would have been the guy that originally created the character. Yes. Uh, he was a writer on the new movie. Uh, he is also a writer on the Lego Batman movie. So he's been hanging out with uh, DC for a long time on a lot of their animated stuff also. So he was a writer on Justice League Doom that is currently on uh, Netflix. And his whole existence has been even uh, Batman Brave and the Bold. You know, he, he wrote a se- uh, episode of that, which honestly is my favorite of the animated Batman series. So kind of think that he's given writing credits, although he's been long dead. That's my read on that. You think so? Oh, well, I just looking, uh, that the new film wrapped on the 123rd anniversary of the birth of, uh, William Moulton Marston, either he's dead or he's super freaking old. I'm going with that second one. You're (laughs) right. <laughs> he's 47. God damn it. Research, Mike. Real good there. What happens when I drank during the show instead of just before it? <laughs> he was absorbed. Yeah, he was. I rescind everything I said. Stanley Ralph Ross, who uh, died in 2000, uh, he actually was more into this. He, uh, this guy has done a lot of shows that we have heard. We, he was part of the Man, of, Man from Uncle. As we did the show on, he did episodes for Columbo, uh, the monkeys, and then he uh, began creating and developing TV shows, including Wonder Woman. So, Wonder Woman. Uh, that yeah. theme is like that's that theme is just the best. You can't say Wonder Woman without singing those words. Wonder Woman. Just like that. Yep. <laughs> I was Enjoy- watching a. Uh- a collection of Wonder Woman videos, and that was playing throughout it. So now it's stuck in my head eternally. Nice. So this starred Linda Carter as Diana Prince, Violet Wagner, as we had said, uh, Colonel Steve Trevor. I looked him up, and I realized outside of this, what I remember him from, it was the uh, Carol Burnett show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tom Cratchoville as Iraq. <laughs> the whole country. <laughs> Richard Eastman was in it as General Phil Blankenship. <laughs> now I read that I think of uh, Most Extreme Challenge. Uh, I wonder Iraq has got to be one of the many computer things that she talks to in the second and third seasons because she's constantly got like computerized helpers. Yeah, maybe, maybe like the uh, her talking to the did she have the invisible plane? I don't remember. Yep, that. she did. She did have the invisible jet. Yeah. That was that, that that was iconic because it really wasn't invisible. You saw it isn't a big glass plane, but yeah. Hey, for television, that's invisible. Right. And I read actually information retrieval associative computer. So they, yeah, that was I remember in the credits for the second and third seasons, there were like three computers and a robot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, also store, starred a, a Beatrice Cohen as Etta Candy and Norman Burton as Joel Atkinson. Joe. Can I, I just say Linda uh, Carter was hot? Yes, she I, I think that everyone agrees with that. Yeah. yeah. And she still is, yes. Yeah. So some trivia. When the son of Wonder Woman stunt double Jeannie Epper told his classmates that his mother performed on the Wonder Woman television series, they did not believe him, even after showing them a photo of his mother in the costume. And they're just like, yeah, your mom dresses up. That's kind of cool. Uh, when series star Linda Carter was told the situation, she took it upon herself to invite his entire class to visit the Wonder Woman set to see them perform. Oh, that's cool. That's a really class act kind of thing to do. That's really cool. She was hot. Uh, Linda Carter had $25 left in her bank account when she got the call and had landed the part of Wonder Woman. She beat 2,000 other actresses to the part. She probably, as Wonder Woman, just actually beat them to the part. This is a contest woman out here. She's kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> she must be Wonder Woman. <laughs> Gotta be her. Wonder Woman. Uh, in the episode Anschluss 77, the script called for Wonder Woman to grab onto a bar under a helicopter and hold onto it as a helicopter lifted 50 feet into the air. Linda Carter's stunt double, the previously mentioned Jeannie Epper, uh, shot the scene, but as the camera was so close to the stand-in, it became obvious that it wasn't Linda. As the production crew was beginning to lose their lighting, Linda felt she could perform the stunt on her own and told her stunt double to let her go instead. She then filmed the scene herself with anger the unaware producers of the series as Carter not only didn't inform anybody ahead of time, but did not use protective wrist guards that would have held onto the helicopter if she had lost her grip. Well, that's because she had to have her magic bracelets on her wrist. Exactly. She had her magic And she's Wonder Woman. <laughs> that's ballsy. <laughs> That's nuts. That's what that is. That is crazy. That's what I said, ballsy. So, oh, jeez. Uh, God, that, I mean, to, to just, I wonder how long they hung, left her in the air. I mean, just for, to deadlift yourself, just to let yourself hang there for longer yeah. to shoot a scene. And 50 feet, uh, no thank you. <laughs> you. You lose your grip there, you just die. Yeah. Wonder Woman. Um, Attention. <laughs> Between series star Linda Carter and Lyle Wagner grew to the point that the series went on that the two stars appeared in fewer and fewer scenes together. So that Wagner's character would have more activity on the show, producers brought in S. Pearl Sharp to play follow IADC agent Eve. Wagner was to be completely written out of the show in the last episode of the series, and uh, as Diana is relocated to the Los Angeles Bureau of IADC. Uh, in recent interviews, Linda Carter has denied that any tension ever existed. Hmm. So what happened? <laughs> they were just keeping them apart for no apparent reason then. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the classy way to respond to that. I mean, they don't want to talk bad up no. about someone they had problems with decades ago. Oh, right. I'm sure that they probably, you know, buried the hatchet for any problems they would have had in the time. So no reason to even dig that up again, really. Right. Exactly. And and from the stunt double thing and taking bringing the kids class and we know that she's a class act so yeah uh, so costume designer Donfeld that's it just Donfeld 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 had originally created a red white and blue two piece bikini for Linda Carter when she was to perform as Wonder Woman in the water when the finished bikini did not seem to stay on the actress during the required <laughs> scenes. Production opted to go with the full body wetsuit instead. 
Aww. Bad designer. You got to make sure it stays on. Otherwise, we miss out on oh. the Carter in a bikini. Don, Don Feld also was a costume designer for Spaceballs. Really? <laughs> Crazy. Is Don Feld just like Cher or? It's, I'm looking up his IDB, IMDB. It's, yeah. Born, just Don Feld. L.A. native Don Feld, born Donald Lee Feld. Was, <laughs> yeah, and then he was a costume designer for the last thing he did was a movie called Fatherhood. And but he did Prizzy's Honor, uh, the China Syndrome, too many chefs, too many chefs, too many chefs. Have you guys seen too many chefs? Too many. I've seen too many cooks. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> and just like Spaceballs with uh, Linda Carter's bikini underwater disappearing, we ain't seen shit. I know I misquoted that intentionally. I, so <laughs> I don't know where to go. <laughs> The dog <laughs> used in the episode "The Girl from Islandia" uh, is the same dog named Tiger from the Brady Bunch, and from Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, where he appeared as Fluffy. Aww. yeah, I thought that was interesting. That uh, yeah, the same same dog was in this show as the Brady Bunch from 1969. Well, and he was keeping the same name. Yeah, he was really you know big that then. He unfortunately after uh, you know once we hit like 81, he picked up a bad cocaine habit. And, uh, you know, appeared in some snuff films. Called him Snowball. Snowball, yeah. So, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, <laughs> in the pilot episode, Diana's transformation into Wonder Woman was accomplished by spinning her clothes off in slow motion. I'm going to say that again. In the pilot of the first two episodes, Diana's transformation into Wonder Woman was accomplished by spinning her clothes off in slow motion. Uh Fantastic. Uh, this proved to be ex- too expensive and time-consuming to do on a weekly basis. Finally, from the third episode, they used a cheaper concept for the transformation as a ball of light and was used throughout the remainder of the three-year run. Why didn't they call, like, Hanna-Barbera and have them teach them how to reuse, you know, cells to make it look like there was more going on than there really was? Because then they got to see Linda Carter spin her clothes off every week. I would have watched what? more. And also, they did change her costumes often enough that that would have become expensive. That's true. That's true. I mean, not her superhero outfit, obviously, but what she was wearing before. And that whole spinning thing just makes me dizzy. I mean, just when I was watching, again, a a clip thing of just kind of the highlights, I was like, man, I'm getting sick from all this spinning. (laughs) (laughs) The spinning was always the best part. Because you knew when she was done spinning, she'd be wearing the the outfit. Yeah. So, did you guys watch this when it was live on TV? When yes. when, when it was first out? I I I, rem- I have uh, recollections of uh, watching it, so I'm not positive if it was first run or if it was reruns a couple years later. But yeah, I'm sure it was in syndication when I watched it. Yeah, I would say the same. I th- I'm pretty sure because I wouldn't have remembered it at that point. I was too small. I I recall watching it sitting in the apartment on Ashland Avenue and watching that. So it's it was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I remember I remember one time it was like we can't watch Wonder Woman. I, I want to watch Woman. No, we you can't watch Wonder Woman tonight. We're going to watch Roots, <gasps> which that was disappointing to an eight year old Mike. He really wanted to watch Wonder Woman. Yeah, man. Wonder Woman, that was that was where was that Wonder Woman, the Hulk, Spider Man, all that stuff. I mean, that was 
Did you spend the whole night waiting for Kutukinte to like spin around and turn into something? There is no good way to answer that. I would just back away gracefully. <laughs> um, Pat's not here. Somebody's got to fill in for him. It's a trap. <laughs> so, did any of us besides me watch a few episodes to prep for this? Yeah, I'm hoping. Good. I squeezed in as much as I could. Well, see, I had to make sure that I went back and watched the ones with Wonder Girl in it. Ooh. Uh, the episodes. Wonder Girl, her younger sister, is played by Deborah Winger. Really? Mm-hmm. What was crazy about this is, like, Linda Carter is exactly as charismatic as I remember. But, oh, my God, this is, like, a below Knight Rider-level writing for most of the episodes <laughs> that I watched. I was like, this, uh, recognizing the acting of everyone who isn't Linda Carter and the writing <laughs> quality kind of wrecked a little piece of my childhood, as Aww. I feared it might. It, it is not awesome writing, but we've, we've encountered that quite often. Um, yeah, pretty much every other show you do? Well, I mean, not, not always. I mean, sometimes it was like, uh, you know, the 70s, 70s writing. We, have this, we definitely have the 70s pacing is a a standard thing um but the the writing i mean I'm trying to think of 70s stuff that had really good writing it was like maybe the um the italian fire, job. fire. what oh italian job you know great writing there i mean but that was a movie uh but there definitely was a this is for kids we really don't have to put too much effort into it back then that's that's the best logic to have with the TV at the time is they felt that they didn't have to be intelligent. It was TV. Uh, kids, they don't like that. They hate those and they hate they hate too much. <laughs> Plus, they were cranking them out, you know, pretty quickly to try and meet demand. So I'm guessing that there was some also some uh, uh, laziness there on that part, too. Yeah, I watched just just before we got together to record. I watched the season three premiere, which had Leaf Garrett. Oh. oh my god like everyone who wasn't linda carter I, I i was just like why don't wonder woman just needs to kill you all <laughs> that was my takeaway at the end everyone was irritating and terrible uh no i can't disagree with that uh yeah the, the acting and the writing on the show is like you said 70s pacing for children mm-hmm. um i mean yeah linda carter is certainly the one that made it memorable. Oh yeah, I mean let's face it, everybody that was watching was watching for either the action sequences or Linda Carter to like I said do the transformation and get into the outfit because at that point you knew it was on. Oh yeah. But they had to have plot to get to that point. Yeah, and it and think about think about some of the other shows that were on at this for us. I mean, 1975, I mean, you had like good times you had uh well i can't i can't say um archie bunker that was that was actually really well written. <laughs> yeah but um uh, but no i mean all in all i think it was that there wasn't a real high expectation outside of like i'm I would, like we said before with with uh roots i mean there was a high expectation for the miniseries type stuff but i think for the week to week definitely a lower lower expectation for the quality yeah, I mean, if you're not talking the shows that were considered like serious entertainment for adults, like Kojak, 
And I mean, even when we watch Hawaii Five O, it, it had better writing than this, but uh, it still had the seventies pacing. Yeah, Beretta. That's another one. How would you uh, compare it uh, to Charlie's Angels from the the late seventies? There. Ooh, have we done that show yet? I don't think we've done that show. Uh, we haven't because the last time we did a show that had uh, Cameron that Diaz. It, yeah, it got bad. We don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, but we we need to pencil that in just so I can uh, wreck another part of my childhood because I remember that show being good. <laughs> yeah, keep remembering it because uh, I've that's popped up on the uh, those me TVs or something, and it's Charlie's Angels. And it's like, yeah, not what I remembered. <laughs> Starsky and Hutch was still great, wasn't it? Oh, don't don't go. See, that's the thing. It's like I mean, when I talk to people about the podcast outside of this, like, oh, you watch these old shows. Oh, cool. What are some you know? What are some of the stuff that you remember watching? And you know that we get into that conversation. It's like I really think there was something wrong with me when I was a kid. <laughs> stuff I'm like there's no way this is this had to have been entertaining to me, but. Yeah, my first experience with that was even before we did the podcast. It was when uh, Joel and I, even in college, we went back to watch Knight Rider. And we're just like, oh, my God, how is this this bad? (laughs) (laughs) And Joel was looking for the acting knob on the TV to turn it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of that stuff doesn't hold up. But in the Starsky and Hutch news, uh, we can do that show eventually because James Gunn is looking to bring it back. That is well, true. they brought it back a couple of years ago. Well, but James Gunn is behind it. <laughs> but this one might actually not be bad. Right. Oh, I, I had a lot of fun with these. Well, we'll, we'll so, get to that if we ever do stuff. We'll hold that for another. We're talking about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. And all I keep thinking about is the, is totally what Mike mentioned with the other shows. I keep thinking about uh, the Bionic Man fighting Bigfoot, which has nothing to do with any of this. But for some reason, it's stuck in my head now. Well, that those are all the shows that were people who were watching Wonder Woman were watching the Six Million Dollar Man. I mean, it's really interesting the crazy just nonsense they threw at her because uh, they had basically Linda Carter as this linchpin, this rock that the series was based on. And then they're just like, okay, for this two-parter, we're going to have this alien that can be anything, and there are going to be eighty-two guys that are all. Uh, basically the same person and their alien bounty hunters. And that's that's our big plot arc. That's that's gonna be our two parter. Well and then there wasn't it was it in the uh I'm trying to remember which episode it was. Was it the pilot that had Cloris Leachman in it? Yes. And As they were Queen. trying to it, Yes, that's it. Okay, thank you. I was trying to remember what the name was, but where they're doing like the trials and uh they're out in like a uh a garden. It looks like a big garden on a, some estate, but it's supposed to be not that. I, um, <laughs> I can't think of what it's called right now. God, I'm trying to blank. The the, uh, the Paradise Island? Yeah, where she's from. Hey, mascara? And yeah, then they've got all the, the masks on and they're dressed in like tracksuits almost, shooting guns at each other. I'm like, what the hell is going on? It was very 70s. And, well, I don't know if you guys noticed, if you're talking about Queen Hippolyta, that uh, when they suppose they did their time jump and recast everybody, Carolyn Jones played Queen Hippolyta uh, oh. of, uh, of Adam's family fame. Oh, um, uh, Morticia, Morticia Adams. Oh, that's it. That's that's all oh, makes a lot more sense than uh, Gloria Leachman. 
<laughs> well, well, that, that wasn't in the pilot. I think that was in the later. So, Cloris Leachman, I, I didn't see the the first one. So, I'm looking up uh, Carolyn Jones's. Uh, oh, there she is! Look at that. She looks much better in that role than Cloris Leachman, <laughs> for sure. I'm gonna have to go back and check out that episode. See if I can compare her to Robin Wright. Uh-huh. Well, and well, we'll get to that in the new. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amazing that uh this would have been my first exposure to the character since I'm a self-professed Marvel fanboy. Uh I probably didn't get into serious uh examinations of the character uh, until college years, post-college years because most of my exposure to DC was just Batman. Mhm. Kind of getting more familiar with the other Justice League characters when I saw the Justice League cartoon. Isn't does DC have more of a grip on TV? Yeah. I mean that that'd be your traditional wisdom is that Marvel did it right on uh, the big screen and has struggled a little bit more with t- television shows. Maybe uh, if you discount three quarters of the Netflix stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, the reverse is true with DC where they seem to have done very well for themselves in creating a coherent TV sort of mini universe. And uh, the DC cinematic universe is sort of a hot mess with the exception of wonder woman spoilers for the second half. And I think that's why <laughs> they waited so long to make wonder woman is that they just, uh, they were having to find their voice. And once they found that, and they strayed away from, I mean, Zack Snyder, I believe, co-wrote it, but they strayed away from that. They felt confident in making it. And speaking of TV shows and Marvel, I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is about to start at season five, so they're not doing that bad with the regular TV stuff. No, but I mean, it got pretty well panned for its first season. Yeah, no, it definitely has not been The Flash or uh, Legends of Tomorrow or even Green Arrow. Supergirl. Yes, which I still want to watch. But so yeah, anyone have anything else to say about the original seventies uh, Wonder Woman series? Doris Leachman looks like she did with everybody in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she looks like she's confused and she doesn't know where Mel is. That's a look on her. Face. <laughs> I mean, the look on her face is what am I doing here? <laughs> and she's got that look through the entire episode. Yeah, so. But no, I mean, it's Wonder Woman back then. I mean, seriously, it's terrible writing. It, it, they, I don't think they knew what people, I'm just saying they knew what people wanted, but I didn't know it either. I mean, I would go in there, I'd watch it and just loved it. So apparently they were doing something right. Well, yeah. And to be fair, other 70s superhero shows, you go back and watch The Incredible Hulk. They weren't exactly great feats of writing. And you didn't have the same kind of personality that Linda Carter brought. I mean, you had Lou Ferrigno in green paint and ripped pants. So we were basically going to watch whatever they put in front of us if it was superheroes. Yeah, that's my takeaway. Yeah, I mean, I remember you know, growing up watching you know, the Super Friends cartoon, watching that, and thinking, "How is this my favorite thing to watch every Saturday morning?" Because there wasn't a single well-written line anywhere in that i i still 
I, I want to go back in time and find little Mike and say, all right, one of them turns into an animal. <laughs> the other one turns into some form of water. How is that any sort of power that they can take down Lex Luthor? Just think about this and get angry about it now. You know, because I want to be really angry about it when I'm when I'm older and bitter. <laughs> well, it's great because they even make up things. Uh, there was one, no kidding. It was she turns into an animal, so she was a gorilla with a bazooka. You got to be shitting me. Nope. Uh, and, I mean these. Yeah, these were in the days when Lex Luthor's biggest heist was stealing forty cakes, and that's the same as four tens, <laughs> and that's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that out. <laughs> I, I, I searched in Gorilla with Bazooka, and I've got some weird hentai site showed up. <laughs> Not sure what that means. Wait, so Super Friends, so Super Super Friends Gorilla. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing with Bazooka. All right, I got. I love it. that for all the professed sexism with regards to Linda Carter and her outfit. What we lose the two of you on is a gorilla with a bazooka. <laughs> <laughs> It happens. It happens. I mean, I'm I'm curious. You know, is it, yeah. it probably fighting Gorilla Grodd? I'm just going to run with that one. So, but uh, but yeah, that, I mean, I mean, it was. But you're right, Josh. We would watch whatever they put in front of us, and you know, I think as time as the series went on, you would hope that they'd be like, "This is really popular." Let's get some better writers in here. This is really popular. We really should build out the world more. And it's like, wow, that's really popular. We can probably scale it back a little bit. You know, we don't really have to have all five writers on this. Just leave them with four and see how they like it. Oh, wow, they still liked it, huh? Let's go for a couple episodes given only three. And, you know, by the end of the season, it's only being written by a gorilla with a bazooka. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, you know, I think Guiding Light dropped the the. Let's put it in front of it and rebrand the show, The Wonder Woman. (laughs) We can get it cheap, I think. (laughs) They just found it laying at the set of Guiding Light. Dusted it off. Anybody using this the? No? Well, I'm going to take it. So Gorilla Bazooka, now I've got a bunch of vapes. There's like all these different vapes that showed up with Pepe and Gorilla. I think going down that rabbit hole. No, I think Google's (laughs) messing with me now. I think all the weird stuff I've looked up on this computer for this show. And now I think Google's just at the point where he's like, look, you're not going to take any of this seriously. I'm not helping you anymore. (laughs) It can't figure out what you're asking for, huh? All right. So Mike's going down the monkey rabbit hole. uh, (laughs) We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Wonder Woman 2017 with Gal Gadot. Yes. Be back in a little bit. All right, we are back to talk about Wonder Woman 2017. Joel, you want to call spoilers on this? <laughs> spoilers. It's been out for two and a half months, three months. Uh, a little longer than that, I think. Yeah, been around, but hit basically hit the charts, hit hit hard. I mean, it, it top movie for a long time. Uh, Wonder Woman 2017 superhero film based on the DC comic character. 
uh, is the fourth installment of the DC Extended Universe movies. Uh, so that would also include uh, Batman vs. Superman. Man of Steel. Man of Steel. And what's the other one? Another Batman? Nope. Uh, the Suicide Squad. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I totally forgot about that one. That's, I haven't seen that one. Which, real quick, uh, speaking of highest grossing, I just saw a thing earlier in the week that it is now uh, in the top five highest grossing uh, superhero movies of all time. Which I, I, I'm already kind of spoiled my opinion on this in the first half. I, I think it's well-deserved. Um, I have been really rough on the DC Cinematic Universe, and that's really easy to do i mean it's kicking a series while it's down yeah um so wonder woman is a second live action film featuring the character uh flying her debut in batman versus and dawn of justice where she was a complete badass fighting uh doomsday yeah uh she re comes back as uh I know Jenkins, the director, Patty Jenkins, is the first female director of a studio superhero comic book live-action theatrical release film. So, tells the story of Princess Diana, who grows up on Amazon. Uh, and I was going to make some sort of stupid Amazon jokes, but let's just skip over that. <laughs> so, Steve Trump, played by uh, Chris Pine. Crashes offshore on the island, is rescued by her, and he tells the Amazons of the ongoing world war. She then leaves her home to help end, end the conflict, becoming Wonder Woman in the process. Uh, the f- development for this film began in 1996. Uh, Jenkins signed on to direct in 2015. Photography started up in November of that same year, and it was filming, uh, took place in the UK, France, and Italy, and finished up in May 9th uh, on the 123rd anniversary of the birth of the character of the creator, as we said before, William Molson Marston, who is not alive, I've been told. <laughs> so how did this stay in development for 1996? They just go to the studio every year and she have a dick yet? Nope. That's a hard <laughs> no from me. <laughs> did you add that to the title? Nope. That's another one. <laughs> it's, well, that's pretty much it is that that the the reasoning that i've seen on this was well, the world isn't ready for a female superhero movie for since 1996 now i'm kind of grateful because that allowed gal gadot to actually be born and <laughs> it also meant we didn't get another catwoman exactly that's true and i think that may be where they had their their biggest fear is like hey it's going to be the next uh female superhero movie after Catwoman whenever he loves Catwoman. Yeah. And that's kind of unfair, but it's worth mentioning that. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure on this one to succeed because if it wasn't good, then all of those studio idiots would have been justified in their, or would have thought they would have been justified in their opinion that uh, a female lead can't carry a superhero film. Exactly. And how wrong were they? Um, it set numerous box office records, including becoming the highest grossing film directed by a woman, the biggest domestic opening for a film directed by a woman, and the highest grossing superhero origin film, and is the fifth highest grossing superhero film domestically and 20th in the United States. It's grossed over 813.2 million worldwide and makes it 
uh, and according to the uh, Wikipedia that we have, it was the sixth highest grossing film of 2017. Well, and let's point out, or let's give credit where credit is due. I mean, it's not just the character that is so beloved, but Patty Jenkins herself uh, did a, it had a good career already as a director and not a huge resume, but all of her films were pretty highly acclaimed. And just the way she did the film was she took a, a huge note from Captain America, first Avenger, in my opinion, with some of the, the way that it was comedic yet actiony yet serious. And I went through and I looked up some other films that had female superheroes as the lead. Uh, the other two aside from Catwoman were Supergirl from 1984 and Elektra from ni- or 2005. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although we had a, kind of an inkling that she was going to be pretty good because not only was she in Batman versus Superman, she was in all nine watchable minutes of Batman versus Superman. Yeah, that was the only good part of Batman versus Superman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and that's and that was it. Like in the Batman versus Superman thing, the, Batman and Superman spend their whole time crying over their moms. And Wonder Woman just kicks ass. So, directed by Patty Jenkins, as we said. Other other movies that uh, Joel has said. One very notable one, Monster. Oh, yeah. Which, I forget, I, that won. Didn't it win a uh, Academy? Uh, Charlize Theron won for Best Actress oh. from that. Yeah. yeah, so, and Charlize Theron. Kind of broke up there. Yeah, Charlie Sermon, she did great stuff to look that part in that movie, too. So, um, Writing credits, Ellen Heinberg, Ellen Heinberg, almost story. Ellen Heinberg did the screenplay, a uh, story by Zack Snyder. Ellen Heinberg, the OC and Party of Fox, there's a lot of TV stuff. This is Mr. Steps into Movies, uh, Star, yeah. Diana Wonder Woman uh, from Israel. She is a single martial ar- a singer, martial artist, actress, uh, and just perfect for this role. Uh, I can almost see that. Did you, any of you guys ever see uh, Keeping Up with the Joneses? No, but I, I was looking at her credits last night because I was trying to think if I'd seen her in anything else, and I saw that that was one of them. Yeah, uh, I remember her very well from Date Night. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, not that that was a great movie, but she was excellent in her small scene. Uh, um, have, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just looking at Alan Heinberg's credits because you had mentioned some of the stuff he'd written. And all the stuff he did was, you know, Party of Five, Sex in the City, The O.C., Grey's Anatomy, and The Catch. You know, so he's pretty well versed on carrying a story with just dialogue and dramatic storytelling. So that explains a lot, along with the, the comedic elements, because... Some of those shows have, you know, nice little touches of comedy. So interesting. Just notice that. So um, also Chris Pine, find his hand in another genre. He's like, I've been in space. Now I need to be in a plane. So he plays forever. Uh, Connie Nielsen as Hippolyta. Who I didn't even realize that was her until I looked it up. Because I'm like, why does that woman look familiar? But not quite. I couldn't place it. And I looked her up and she looked totally different. Oh, yeah, from uh, Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, uh, so her, Robin, Robin White, is not, it's not antelope, and antiope? And Antiope? Antiope, uh, who is known for being Jenny 
<laughs> and Princess Buttercup. And Princess Buttercup, yes. I probably know her best as Claire Underwood. Like, this re- more recent phase to her career, she's just playing these incredibly powerful women. Yeah. She's, well, I mean, she's kind of had that through the whole way. I mean, Jenny was from Forrest Gump. She was powerful, but in kind of like the wrong way. Well, and you'd have to be married to Sean Penn. Is she? Was. I she was, was yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, Danny Hudson is Lundorf. David. Uh, oh, oh I just wanted to stop on Danny Hudson real quick. Um, I knew knew him primarily from American Horror Story. He played the Axeman, and uh, he's really good at playing these dark characters. Okay. And then uh, David Thules, um, most notably known as Professor Lupin from Harry Potter series. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's about accurate. Yeah. That's pretty much if you were. British, you're probably best known for being in Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> well, as it's been said, the British only have like a dozen, 15 good actors and actresses, but they've got a thousand costumes. Right. So they're like all <laughs> in Game of Thrones, uh, Doctor Who, and Harry Potter. Right. Right. That, oh. is, what, that is what you do. Um, also, Saeed Tagmoli uh, was actually in uh, Three Kings. Oh, you know, I have not seen that yet. Oh, what? It's good. I it, know it's been on my list for years. Yeah, and it's and you know what the thing is that is it's a lot better than it sounds. Yes. So, and Joel's was actually in this as Ewan Bremer, <laughs> my spirit animal, <laughs> Charlie. Ewan Bremer. Uh Eugene Braverock was the chief. Lucy Davis as Etta, and Elena Anya as Doctor Maru. Yeah, when you see Spud as the Scottish sniper, like for a split second, I was like, why is this dude so familiar? Because <laughs> I saw it before we went back and watched Train Spotting for the podcast. I saw uh, this like opening night in the theater. Yeah, this guy, he, he, I feel like he should not be handling guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Lucy Davis, just uh, as a reminder, if, if you didn't catch it, um, of course. Uh, most people might recognize her from the UK version of the office, but she was also uh, one of the leads in Shaun of the dead. She played Diane and um, she uh, looks quite a bit different these days, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. She also played Abby in Garfield, the tale of two kitty. <laughs> she did. <laughs> That's like a weird resume right there. The office wonder woman, Shaun of the dead. And Garfield. <laughs> uh, I've seen all of them. So some trivia. Jeez, you. Uh, Gal reshoots for the movie, including stunts, while being five months pregnant. Her baby was visible, so the crew created a costume which had a green screen around her belly, which was later removed during post-production. Clever. Yeah. That's, first off, badass. And second of all, uh, very clever. God, pregnant and doing these stunts. That's nuts. Yeah, now apparently they're taking that the technology to green screen out uh, Superman's mustache on the uh, uh, Justice League uh, movies. Three shoots. Henry Cavill grew a mustache for a current movie he's filming, and when they went to do reshoots, the uh, studio that he was with would not let him shave his mustache, so they have to edit his mustache out. (laughs) I hope the, I hope the God I hope the God there's scenes with that end still. <laughs> like some deleted scenes. I want to see that. <laughs> That'd be great for the Blu-ray. Oh, I hope so. 
I want to see him just walking around with a green mustache. Exactly. <laughs> see him leave at the end of the shoot. Dude, dude, Henry, Henry, what? It, it, it's still green, man. You can't go out like that. <laughs> now, if they'd only discovered this earlier, they could have painted Jesse Eisenberg entirely green during Batman vs. <laughs> Superman. Completely edited him out. <laughs> Made the movie a hundred times better. Edited in Gene Hackman or something? <laughs> anything. Oh. <laughs> you got Jeffrey. Oh, oh that's fantastic. All right. So, uh, director Patty Jenkins was originally in talks with Warner Brothers to direct this film back in 2005. But due to her unexpected pregnancy, she had to step down. She claimed that Wonder Woman 2017 is a film that she'd been wanting to do her whole life and was fortunate to come back to it. And Good apparently working on the uh, what to do with this movie for her entire life because that was fantastic. Um, Steve's timepiece is a pocket watch adapted with a leather case to be worn on the wrist. Pocket watches were worn were the norm at the time, but they were usually worn on a chain, but they proved to be impractical in frontline action because timing was critical for coordinating large-scale action, such as infantry maneuvers. Uh, soldiers began wearing their timepieces on their wrists. This fashion Century. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. I didn't realize that. So we have war to thank for the wristwatch. Yeah. Indeed. I wonder how long it was like before they were like, maybe we should just put this somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Come join us, join us. Oh, I'm stuck. My watch is stuck. I'm- and we saw Gal Gadot train for nine months and gained 17 pounds of muscle for this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. When the casting was first announced, people were, oh, she's too small, she's too slight. And it's like, this woman could kick your ass. Well, another thing, even when she was small and slight, before she put on muscle for it, like we had, we were talking about before the show, she was with the Israeli army as a fitness instructor. Right? Yeah, and they're, they're no slouches. Um, yeah. It's just the, the one of many uh, examples of these armchair neckbeards criticizing these actresses. That It's like you found someone who was a soldier and a model and a, a fitness trainer like – a unicorn. This this is the person you want for this kind of role. They did the same thing for The Expanse when it's like, oh, you found an MMA boxer who can act as seven foot tall and is a Samoan. And everyone's saying, oh, she's too small to play the character that is described like that in the books. It's like, really, dude? I understand well, your imagination is, I don't know, got this unfillable role. And that's the thing is, I mean, as we know, people will bitch about anything. Yeah. And, you know, it, and I, I think the idea of armchair neckbeard is hilarious because I find an armchair would be like I was up jogging and it's just like mildly upset. Yeah. And, and it's kind of redundant. It's not like there's active wear neckbeards out there <laughs> doing things with stuff and movement. Um, just lost that in this film. Wonder Woman's tiara is an heirloom from Anatope. I almost said antelope again. <laughs> Antiope. Antiope. Uh, in both the comics and the television series, and it can be used as a weapon. Yep. I remember seeing that in the original Wonder Woman. I was like, what is she doing? Oh, 
to what? It's a boomerang. Yes. So every design decision made for Themyscira came down to director Patty Jenkins and designer Lindy Hemming asking, how would women want to live that, that that's badass? How would women want to live? How would women want to live? That's, that's badass. Bad. Oh, okay, cool. There's, I don't want to come on there. Um, Hemming crafted a, sh- a look to show off the Amazon's ripped shoulders and toned legs, emphasized by wrist braces and heeled sandals, because Jenkins explained, as a woman, I want Wonder Woman to look to fight and to look great at the same time. In my opinion, this means she has really long legs. And she does. Uh, Diana's scenes in London are an homage to Superman from 1978, where Superman encounters urban life for the first time. Protagonist gets a disguise of a formal bespectacled attire and stops a mugging attack and has some trouble with the revolving door. And the huge glasses they got for her were such a great (laughs) nod to the uh, Linda Carter series. Yes. Nice. And my fetish. (laughs) <laughs> well, speaking of fetishes, something we didn't touch on in the original half of this, but the, the original character of Wonder Woman, as it was designed, was kind of S&M themed. Yes. If there, you've seen the original <laughs> comics. She got tied up a lot uh, in the original comics. In fact, there was the one way for her to lose her powers is if a man tied her up with her own lasso. Yeah, they luckily strayed away from that after a while, but... Yeah. Originally, it was pretty. Yeah, it was a different time. Yes. <laughs> what were we gonna yeah, say? I, think, I was gonna say that's why they gave her the magic lasso as her weapon in the first place, so there can be a lot of bondage going on there. <laughs> and there was. Well, and that almost it. I want to say it was almost a theme for the time, uh, because if you think of like the old school comics, like the Spirit. Or, you know, those type of pulp, pulp fiction type comics. I mean, there was always the, the heroine getting tied to a chair. There was always the uh, that style. Think of like uh, EC comics back in the day also had that theme of like the true crime comics and that sort of thing. Where there was always a heroine in these really intricate rope, <laughs> uh, rope tying and knotting and that sort of thing. So that's kind of a weird I mean, that's partially, I guess, you know, in the same uh, vein of where uh, Betty Page came from. But if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have the character we have for this film. Right. And like you say, it's fortunate that they moved away from that, where they decided we're going to show uh, Thermoscura as this warrior society. It's not going to be like, oh, we train with swords and then we have tea parties. This <laughs> sort of... And there was shit like that. Maybe not to that extreme. I'm exaggerating. But there was stuff like that when you go back even into the old school Golden Age comics. And we see a very, very powerful warrior society. And when World War One accidentally discovers their hidden island, which I thought was the effect on that was just totally badass. Yeah, the way, yeah you've got this completely covered like by mystical camouflage island and act and then world war one accidentally sails through the camouflage and you've got all these women who are training with spear and sword and shield and germans with guns storm their beach and while the germans with guns get a few of them with the bullets uh they do surprisingly well considering their technology yeah, and that scene when the the girl gets shot with the bullet for the first time, I was like, "Oh man!" 
I, I, I was, I was, you know, it would. They, Patty Jenkins very much styled that scene after the D-Day invasion. You know, it's like the uh, the beach. You know, when they're they're coming to the beach, and yeah, and it it, it felt very much like that um, on a smaller scale. But you know, it's going to come because as soon as they're firing their guns and they're these people have no idea what the bullets are and uh, don't really have any thought about trying to defend against it. And next thing you know. They're, one of them's down, and it's just like, oh man, this is not going to end well. Yeah, but they adapt real quickly. Granted, a bunch of them die before they figured it all out, but by the end of that scene, you've got them using shields to knock back grenades. Like, they put up one hell of a fight. It isn't just a bunch of dudes show up and kill them all. Right. It's not that simple. And this is a society which basically doesn't know men. The uh, world of man uh, is something that's foreign to them. It's the world of man. They used to live together, and man invented war, and they kind of sequestered themselves. And it's almost uh, indicating that they're sort of a separate race created at the dawn of time, and most of the good things in the world came from them. So I, I liked their new origin for her. Yeah, although that you brought me it reminded me of the scene when uh, they were sailing away from the island, and she was talking about, "Oh yeah, I know all about sex. I've read up on it. Uh, <laughs> we, we read all that stuff. I know all about it." Jeff, what was what was your uh, take on the movie? Oh, I thought the movie was outstanding. Like you said, uh, the the uh, well written. Beautiful action. Uh, I think maybe about the third act, the, the final boss villain scene might have got a little bogged down and, and and out there, but I don't think it hurt the movie at all. Sure. Yeah, if we're going to pick nits, there was a bit too much CGI flying metal around in the third act. And yeah, it, it, it wasn't a perfect movie, but it was so much better than anything we've seen from DC up to this point. Well, and I don't want to diss too much on Zack Snyder because I I appreciate his work and I like him as a creative force. But, you know, where Marvel had kind of Joss Whedon at the head initially um, and then kind of phased out from that. And it's slowly been kind of filtering in other directors to take the chair. They left Zack Snyder in charge to kind of helm everything in one way or another. And he just has taken it so dark that it was nice to see them kind of shift away from that a bit in this. And like I said, they took a bit of the playbook from first Captain America, the first Avenger and uh, kept the action, kept the drama, but then threw in some comedy and made it a little lighter throughout, which I think brightened up the whole universe a bit, which I hope they carry that over through future films. But this is the first time I saw it where I was like, okay, this isn't completely dark. Oh, I certainly agree with you on that one. Uh, like I said, the, the universe before was just too dark, and especially with Batman v Superman, I was I'm on record as calling uh, Ben Affleck's Batman the angry, angsty Batman, and I don't know, it just uh, I didn't like it. I didn't think he did a bad job, but I didn't like the direction that they went with him. Right, they tried to force what should have taken years and multiple films to develop into one or two. And they kind of went a different direction with this, where they thought of consequences of the changes they've decided to make to the DC universe. 
the biggest change is this is World War One instead of World War Two, yeah. where and it's a really smart change when they've got the parallel uh, Ares plotline going back, where Ares has decided that he's going to make war the most important thing in the world of man, and he is some in some level responsible for World War One in general. You can't do that with World War II. You can't say, well, it's not really Hitler's fault. It's Ares. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, you do that, and all of a sudden there's a big problem. And I've got my stinger for this show. <laughs> no, but also, uh, moving it, uh, it makes sense story-wise that the Great War would be the war that pulls Wonder Woman to the the world of man and whatnot, so it, it flows and actually kind of makes more sense, except for the fact that she was written originally at the World War Two time. World War One, I, I think, makes a better uh, introduction. Yeah, and even though there are some pretty clear parallels, you don't force the direct comparison or even the accusations of ripoff between this and Captain America: The First Avenger. Yeah, I, I just mean tonally and, and um, you know, again, kind of the, the brighter aspects to it. For sure. But if this had been another World War II period piece, the accusation of ripoff from some people, eh, they might have had a point had they gone that direction. Yeah, the armchair neckbeards coming out in droves. For sure. <laughs> armchair. <laughs> I think if I was to to nitpick at all. Uh, I think the, the only thing that I really had problem with was there was, um, aside from the infight scene that you mentioned already was there were a couple of scenes where the CGI wonder woman became a little too apparent, but it was so minor that it's forgivable. Um, and just everybody in it was on board. I mean, there wasn't anybody that was in this film that wasn't ready to, to try and make it the best that they could. Um, which I've heard a lot of people say that Robin Wright kind of uh, stole a lot of the sequences in the earlier part of the film <laughs> as her character because she was pretty badass. That's fair. Uh, the ending, when you get past the big CGI Metal Ares villain, it was very deftly done the way they had uh, both Wonder Woman and uh, Steve Trevor ending their characters without robbing agency from either of them. And that was a really difficult type tightrope for them to walk where Steve Trevor gets to make the big clutch sacrifice play, but he doesn't do it at Diana's expense. Well, and, and the whole sequence where she's lost her hearing temporarily and the audience there, therefore has also lost their hearing when he's talking to her before that moment. And I thought it was really a nice touch the way they went back and played it out so that we could hear what was said, you know, kind of interspersed with her kind of regaining her composure and getting ready to do what needed to be done. It was just really well done. And it didn't feel precious or cliched, in my opinion. Sure. There are a hundred ways to handle Steve Trevor wrong. And when I first oh. saw him on screen, I was worried they were going to do that. Like if you either have him take over and save Diana or just decide we're going to do that same trope and just flip the script and have her constantly saving him. I think both of those are bad choices and they neatly avoided doing either of them. I a hundred percent agree with you. And that's what, one of my biggest fears was, was how are they going to handle 
you know, Steve Trevor, you know, because obviously it, it's the Wonder Woman, so she has to have, you know, the, the, the big scenes and whatnot. But yeah, you didn't want to do a reverse damsel in distress. So I, yeah, like you said, they, they did handle that deftly and it was nice. Now, do you think a lot of that had to do with the fact it was Chris Pine? Because I know Chris Pine is Star Trek. He's Kirk, but he's not, you know, uh, he has, you know, grooving with the Green Ladies Kirk, but he's definitely a different style of Kirk than we've known. I mean, do you think if it had been a different actor, that would have been uh, a change on that then? I mean, maybe. Uh, he definitely brought something to the role, but I, I have to credit the writing and the direction for most of that, just that if he had been given different material, it would have been difficult for him to either not be a real character, just be a flip of the way they used to do female characters. He'd just be like a paper caricature or worse, uh, be the dude in the wonder woman movie. Who's the real hero, which I think part of the reason of, of having the female director, kept that from happening because there wasn't that you know male director in that role that's like okay where's the dicks you know she was in control of the film so i think that kind of kept things in check along with like you said the writing as well and and i didn't even realize that <laughs> that that had happened that that's how kind of well it was handled but i didn't even think about it in those terms until you said it about how it could have flipped <laughs> Although I, w- I was also thinking uh, to the the nice the stunning battle scene uh, the with the, so the no man's land uh, part I, I I was fully expecting and I'm not sure that I like that they did or that they didn't do it but when they're like you can't go out there that's no man's land I was expecting her to say well I'm no man but- yeah it, it's good that they didn't go for that easy cheesy one liner throwaway. And I love the Dirty Dozen sort of, we finally get to see all of the people in the photograph from Batman versus Superman. And they're all great characters that could have been pulled from a World War One war film. Like Guns of the Navarone. Or- yes. Well, and, and something else that I really appreciated was you get this emotional connection with this village, even though you don't know any of the people in it and you don't know the overall story, but you know that tale and you become connected with them with the after they they save them, and then what happens next made it hit that much harder home. And I thought that was a, a really great way to kind of carry the story forward. And it was it wasn't a cop out in my opinion, even though it, it maybe it was a little bit something you could see coming, but I didn't I didn't see it coming. <laughs> and uh, it it was it was kind of heart wrenching. You've got a period piece where the supporting characters include someone who's clearly suffering from PTSD, which you could call a mental illness. And then you've got a Native American and a guy from the Middle East as heroes. A great representation all the way around. It's still Wonder Woman show and uh, strong female representation is front and center. But these other characters, it's not Wonder Woman and her troop of burly white dudes. Right. <laughs> oh, that just sounds like a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> just the title. <laughs> that's that's like the way they would have done it if this had been made ten years ago. Well, or even if you look at uh and don't get me wrong, I loved Agent Carter, but when she's leading up 
you know, uh, Dum Dum Dugan and all those guys. I mean, that's your yeah. the yeah. kind of squad you're talking about. Well, I mean, not not in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because you've still got representation of African American soldier, Chinese soldier, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The, the the Howling Commandos in the Marvel Universe are pretty diverse. I mean, you've got Dum Dum Dugan. You've got, I mean, if you look like for the original um, uh, Captain America, you know, that whole team is packed together in the one cage. They're the ones that he brings along on the next one. And there's, it's almost like you almost expect to see a guy in a wheelchair. <laughs> too, so... Yeah, and that's the thing is they they handled I think with both the Howling Commandos and this group of uh, secondary characters that accompanies her into World War One, they do it without pandering, and that's really important because I we've seen in so many of the new movies where they pander to making a token strong female character that turns out to not be a very strong female character at all. So it, it's getting better. It's maybe not where it needs to be yet, but uh, this is a really, really good couple of first steps. Well, and they gave them a backstory without giving them a huge amount of exposition. I mean, you knew where they were all coming from just with a small amount of backstory they gave. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, uh, Dr. Maru, how creepy was she? Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, uh, I'll say the costume and makeup on her was outstanding because yeah <laughs> oh yeah that puts you just looking at that right away you're like oh whoa a german poison expert uh especially like poison gases i mean her character is a basically a new supervillain, and uh you've got this a woman that is in a lot of ways, the main villain. I, I know we get to the end with the big reveal where Ares is probably the real big bad. But uh, I, I thought she was really great with her, like the mask over her disfigured half of a face. Like, I'm looking like a, like a, um, a marionette. Yeah. Almost. When you almost had three bad guys, if you look at it between the, the guy, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, Houston's character um Aries and then of course her which you know again she was kind of a, a strong female in a different on the other side of things um and she almost reminded me of some of the old like um uh grindhouse exploitation villains in the way that they set her up uh, I could see that it's also cool that her uh danger wasn't from her sexuality it wasn't from her just being a leather clad ass kicker her danger was from her intelligence so that's pretty sweet like even the bad guy when it's a woman actually gets the same kind of uh writing that are normally only reserved for male supervillains nice yeah i i I was going into it expecting really good things just from all the press and I wasn't disappointed. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there. My expectations for this were impossibly high, and they were met. A lot for you, because when you come in, I know you, when you come to expectations of them, you're a lot more critical. And I'm inclined to be critical, because this is DC. Yeah. No, I, I always try, when I go into a movie, to try the, my best to keep expectations low. 
And this one was hard to do so because you were hearing everything about it going into it. And I'm like, just keep them low, keep them low. And then <laughs> no, it was outstanding. I mean, like you said, nitpicky things. But other than that, I mean, it was great. Fantastic. Well, and, and after seeing uh, Batman versus Superman, where she kind of stole the show, you, yeah. you knew that that bar was already going to be kind of high anyway. And I was worried that when she got her solo film, that they were going to drop the ball somehow. But they made some really smart choices. Well, here's to hoping she can rescue Justice League because the uh, the trailers do not have me feeling very good about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it there's little brief moments of shininess. I'm really I really hope they don't decide to put like a Zan and Jaina in there. <laughs> uh, they haven't been cast yet. So. Well, I mean, they surprise us because you know somebody out there. That's, it's a great grandson of the guy with the cigar and the the from back in the seventies. <laughs> you know what this needs? A monkey with a bucket of water. <laughs> yeah, like the serious film reviewers who have started to hit with a backlash real hard on superhero films. Uh, fuck those guys. They have the main criticism being that even when you take a stab at deeper topics like in Civil War, it really comes down to superheroes punching everything to deal with the problem. That may be fair, but when I look at a trailer for something like the upcoming Thor Ragnarok or the leaked trailer for uh, Infinity War, when I see characters fighting, I know what they're fighting for. I know why they're punching. I... I have an idea of what's at stake. You and then I watch. I'll say, you know why they're not punching too. I mean, right. it's... then you watch the justice league trailer and I see a bunch of faceless aliens getting blown away by the justice league who are making action movie quips. And I'm kind of thinking, I don't think you guys are getting the point of what's going on with the superhero film revolution. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and despite Marvel's kind of, uh, formulaic approach to their films you gotta admit they're always entertaining and they're always well done and if you look at this like the netflix series that focuses more on the story as much as it does the punching things um all of those are incredibly well written and smart and when it comes to the punching things like you said there's a reason behind it and it's not just for the sake of hitting somebody else but this is a glimmer of hope for the DC cinematic universe. More of this, less of crafting two completely unrelated Joker movies, one of which isn't even a part of your cinematic universe. <laughs> oh, yeah, that news was terrible to hear. Yeah, it's like every time I hear something good coming out, it's like maybe they can pull this together. Then it's like, yeah, somebody there is just determined to not get it. Yeah. Well, and for those of people who don't know, can you uh, fill them in on the Joker bit? Well, they are launching a new separate Joker film uh, that is not connected to uh, Suicide Squad. So it's not a part of uh, the DC Cinematic Universe, but it's still launched by the same people, which is bound to make people a little confused. Yeah. It's our movie not really our movie yeah they're gonna to have to go they're like it's not even going to be jared leto who's currently holding that position in the dceu they're going to recast and oh it, it like i said it will confuse a lot of people huh yeah they're simultaneously pursuing three joker projects a suicide squad sequel 
a standalone film that's going to basically be their take on crazy love. Or is that mad love? It's basically a Joker and Harley movie. And then this weird, they want Leonardo DiCaprio to play Joker in a completely unrelated to anything Joker film. Yeah. And it's already disconnected from the TV universe anyway. So how much more, (laughs) how many more, levels are they going to go i mean it's like they're incepting themselves i don't know so do you think we uh can come to the thumbs up thumbs down now oh yeah i think so all right so let's let the guests go first thumbs up thumbs right. down. old old uh wonder woman old wonder woman for nostalgic purposes and uh linda carter's performances thumbs mm-hmm. up maybe slightly up because like you said they were pretty poorly written all right joel wonder woman yeah i i have to agree with jeffrey on that i mean for nostalgia reasons and linda carter alone it's a thumbs up just because it was such a kind of a big part of my childhood growing up watching that in syndication but seeing it again it it's so ripe with just all the 70s cliched and and piss poor TV writing that that kind of gives it some negativity, but I'm still going thumbs up. Cool, Josh. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be the dissenting voice at this point. I I'll still love Linda Carter. I think she is the only thing of value in that series. But if I have to say I hate Batman and Su- versus Superman, despite Gal Gadot being the only good thing about it, I also have to give a thumbs down to the original Wonder Woman's show. That's just. I, I'm giving the original Wonder Woman a thumbs up, but I don't know why. <laughs> that's it's also like, just. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, yeah, I'm giving it. Yeah, you know, I think it. I think it does have to do with that, that nostalgia of watching it. But it was it's also the that was good. No, it wasn't. I know it wasn't, but at the same time, I can't. I can't really give it a thumbs down because, like Joel said, there's that nostalgia and the memory of watching it when you were a kid before. I guess we knew any better. Yeah. And I suppose it's got a little camp value too, you know. Yeah. Where yeah. the Batman versus Superman doesn't can't hold camp as a, as a reason to watch. That's fair. Yeah. What about? Uh, now, big thumbs up. Uh, I think uh, Gal Gadot is going to, you know, just soar, uh, you know, with other Wonder Woman movies. But I think she's this is going to be a big jumping stone for her uh, uh, launching a career. Fantastic. Joel? Yep. I, I Like I said, I went into it with with higher expectations and planning on being kind of so-so on it. And I ended up really enjoying it. I'll be picking it up when it comes out for sure. And Josh, I'm going to go with a guess on you at this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go one step further. Not only is this a huge thumbs up, but uh, Wonder Woman cracks my top five of all time. Wow. Bit. Yeah, especially for a diehard Marvel fanboy. Yeah. Like this displaces a good portion of the MCU for me for top spots. Wow. That's a bold statement, sir. Fantastic. I'm going to go with the thumbs up, too. You know, just because it's Gal Gadot is, I mean, it's another one of those characters that they've already got Wonder Woman 2 uh, scheduled for release. You know, they've got her, whether or not, you know, what's going to happen with um, Justice League, whatever that's going to happen. But she has another another movie coming out, you know, just Wonder Woman. And I think this is going to be another case of 
uh, Iron Man, where 20 years from now, we're going to be like, yeah, Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. You know, just like with, you know, Robert, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, that's Iron Man. Why? Because they are. They are that character. And I think that's what she's going to pick up. I think this is going to be the first of the DC characters that's going to be recognized as being the perfect cast for that character. For sure. Like, if we ever get a film that is Gal Gadot, uh, Chloe Bennett, and Daisy Ridley, there's just going to be too much awesome in one movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Joel, what do we have for next week? Oh, what do we have for next week? It is uh, a, continuing on with September. Uh, we'll be having Grant uh, joining us from Anchor FM, and uh, we're going to be reviewing David uh, Cronenberg's. Wait, no, that's not right. Uh, damn it, I forgot his name. Anyway, we're doing Death Race 2000 and Death Race 2050 or 2050. Death David Cronenberg's Death Race 2000. I don't know if I would have that. <laughs> Not Cronenberg. Oh my God. What's oh his my, name? Why are, why are the cars all veiny? Is it Max Corman? Harvey Corman? Harvey Roger Corman. Roger Corman. <laughs> Harvey Corman's Death Race. Harvey Corman's Death Race 2000. I think that would be right up on my alley. Yes. If you'd like to see the Harvey Corman, David Cronenberg jam. Of Death Race. Uh, tell us how that would work out. It's 708 now wrap. That's 708 669 9727. Yep. And like I said, our older stuff iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk to Podverse FM, all sorts of uh, podcast uh, directories. And before we go, Jeffrey, tell us again where are you from and what are you doing, man? Uh, well, I am from the History of Bad Ideas podcast, uh, also known as Hobie, if you hear that out there. Uh, you can find us at uh, a lot of the same places where you guys are at. Uh, you can get us at Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, you can find us uh, uh, on uh, Geek Life Radio every Friday morning at 10 Eastern, 9 Central. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that earlier. We, we've been forgetting. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you want to uh, listen to, like I said, a uh, bunch of guys with uh, some rotating guests come in and just uh, talk about the, the 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 news of what's going on in the geek culture, uh, just a, a warning that uh, we can get some. It, we earn our explicit uh, rating sometimes, uh, so some of your childrens might not want to listen, but. Uh, Go ahead and uh, check us out if you uh, at least enjoyed uh, what I did over here today. Fantastic. You definitely should check them out. History of Bad Ideas. And uh, thanks for being on the show, man. I mean, it's been fun to have you. To be fair, if uh, they let their kids listen through this week's acronym of the week, they're already making (laughs) bad parenting decisions by the time they got to this plug. so Can't argue that. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's it for this week. And uh, join us next week for some Death Race action. And thanks for listening. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman.